What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for joining me here for this Tuesday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. We're a Sports Ethos presentation, of course, and I'm your host, Joe O'Rico. You can find me on Twitter at JoeOrico99 and also at EthosFantasyBB, E-T-H-O-S, FantasyBB. That's where we post all of our new podcasts, articles, different news and notes that we have on Twitter. It's all there at EthosFantasyBB. If you're not somebody who uses Twitter, please make sure you're checking out SportsEthos.com. We have a lot of exciting stuff going on, not just on the baseball side. Our football draft guide recently launched. We have a couple of new football podcasts. We got basketball content coming out regarding the rookie class of this season and how they look for fantasy. A ton of great content on the basketball side is about to be coming out. I know the season just ended, but we're already getting ready here for next season at Sports Ethos. So make sure you're checking us out. And of course, hockey. We have literally everything going on, all four major sports. We got gambling, we got DFS, team coverage. Make sure you're going to sportsethos.com if you have not checked this out already. Today we're going to be doing our usual Tuesday mailbag, but I do want to get off a bit of a rant slash tangent here before we get going. And it's regarding plus stats, OPS plus, WRC plus, everything plus. I don't like them. I, I don't want to seem like I'm an old man dinosaur. I'm not. I'm 24 years old, almost 25 years old. I'm not one of the old guard who likes the old stats and nothing else. I definitely use the new stats. You guys hear me talk about FIP and XFIP and Sierra and all those different kind of cool stats. And I think that they're a lot more valuable on the pitching side in terms of predicting value, in terms of you know understanding value to date looking forward for future value. I I do like them a lot more on the pitching side. When it comes to some of these hitting stats, OPS Plus in particular, and WRC Plus is just as guilty, I think that we overuse them like crazy. And I've seen that a lot today on Twitter. And I guess part of it is my fault for, you know, kicking that hornet's nest of, you know, going out there and saying I don't think they're that valuable. And then I get into a bunch of Twitter fights, which is something I've been doing a lot more recently. It's kind of fun. Sometimes it gets kind of annoying if the trolls do come out. But regardless, uh, I was getting into, I shouldn't even really call them fights, just more conversations, disagreements with people regarding the use of these plus stats. And I think that they're really overvalued. If you look at OPS plus, Shohei Otani is number one, Jordan Alvarez number two, Luis Arise is number three at 161 OPS plus, a higher number this season than Ronald Acuna Jr., than Freddie Freeman, than Corbin Carroll. I think it's ridiculous. I, I think that whatever is going into these numbers, and I think part of it is, I think without looking at the formula, because those formulas are very, very complicated. I'll pull it up right now. Um, there's a lot that goes into them. Um, but OPS plus, I think it weights walk percentage a little bit too much. WRC plus as well. Because if you look at WRC plus, it's just as guilty of some of these kind of stupid, weird things. You know, Lamont Wade Jr., has had a really good season for San Francisco. He's got nine homers. He's got a couple of steals. He's batting 283. He's been a nice little player. According to WRC+, Plus, he has been as valuable as Corbin Carroll has. I think it's absurd to look at it from that lens, but that is what the numbers will tell you. They'll also tell you other things, like Isak Paredes has been more valuable than Mookie Betts and Boba Shett that Ryan Noda has been more valuable than Mike Trout. There's just a lot of weirdness that goes into these stats at the way that they're calculated, and I think they really heavily weigh walk percentage. Maybe they don't. Based on the formula that I'm looking at, they weigh OBP. I think they've used OPP a couple times in the formula. It's, it's very complicated. I'm not a mathematician. All I can tell you is looking at these numbers and looking at these rankings, there's some of them that are really genuinely stupid. You know, I, I can't. I can't I can go through them all day and just tell you, you know, a bunch of examples of how ridiculous they look a lot of the time. 
But you can just take a look at it for yourself and see weird things like I just mentioned there. I don't think that there's a lot of people who are going to tell you that Ryan Noda has been more valuable than Mike Trout this year, but that's what the WRC Plus would tell you. Uh, there's a lot of those kind of weird ones. Will Smith apparently is more valuable than Fernando Tatis Jr. and Paul Goldschmidt, and it's like, come, come on. Come on, what are we doing here? Um, I, I don't agree to, to any extent with the use of these stats for determining the value of a player. I got into a couple discussions, I'll call them discussions, over on Twitter earlier, where people were trying to make the argument that Luis Arise is more valuable than Ronald Acuna Jr. because he has more value on a per-at-bat basis somehow. That was the argument that I've been seeing. And even right now, I see another comment pop up in my in my feed here in the notifications, Arise and Diaz have been better hitters this season. No, they have not been better hitters than Ronald Acuna Jr. and Freddie Freeman. That is what we've done. We've bullshitted everybody with these stats, and now people look at them as gospel. Oh, oh, Luis Arise is a better hitter than Ronald Acuna Jr. Based on what? If, you, if the criteria is who hits more singles, then sure. Give him the crown. Give him the MVP if that's what we're judging it on, who hits more singles, who puts the ball in play more. Sure. Give it to Luis Arise. Acuna literally leads him in every stat that matters. If you go through all of them, Acuna's better, more home runs, more runs, more RBIs, more stolen bases. Yes, some of those are team-centric stats, but he's a better walk percentage, a better isolated power, better slugging, better WOBA, better ex-WOBA. He has more war. He has a more stable BABIP than Arise does. I, I am at a loss for words of people who think Luis Arise is a better player than Ronald Acuna Jr. And I thought, you know what? Let's be fair. Let's put it out on a poll on Twitter. Let's just genuinely see what people are thinking. Not that my followers are the be-all and end-all, and they are all-encompassing of everybody in the baseball world, but there's a decent enough chunk of them that respond to my polls where I can generally see what my followers and what fantasy baseball Twitter and baseball Twitter think. So I phrased it. Who has been a more valuable baseball player to this point in the season, Ronald Acuna Jr. or Luis Arise? 94% of people answered Ronald Acuna Jr. Frankly, I'm surprised it wasn't higher. I'm surprised it wasn't 98, 99% with you know, some Marlins contingent and maybe some old Twins fans and some old school people thinking that it's a rise. I don't know. I, I really don't know. Maybe it's the new school people, right? Maybe it's a combination of the old school people thinking that batting 400 is, and it is an incredible achievement. I don't want to take away anything from him. But it's not as incredible as what Acuna has done. Ronald Acuna Jr. through half the season like, if you're just going to prorate what he's done, because we're about halfway through the season now, you can, it's not perfect, but you just generally multiply the stats by two. He's on pace for about 35 and 70. Okay. I don't care if Rise hits 420. I don't care if he hits 500 at that point with his three homers and a couple stolen bases. There's no question that Ronald Acuna Jr. is a more valuable player. Does he benefit from being in a much better offense? Yes, he does. But that is not enough of a gap there to say that what Luis Arise is doing, which is, again, still incredible, is anywhere in the same breath as good as what um, Ronald Acuna Jr. is doing. The Marlins, for what it's worth, are not a terrible offense. There are certain stats where they do very well, you know, and part of that is because of Arise and helping them out in batting average where their seventh hits, their eighth. Uh, They're kind of a middle-of-the-pack offense. They're not great. They're not terrible. But they're not like the Nationals. You know, if he was doing this on the Nationals or the Athletics, then you might say, okay, well, maybe you'd understand it a little bit more. But it's not like Arise is in this, you know, horrendous offense. The team is 11 games above 500. They've done very well so far this season. Arise has been a big part of that. But I just think if you're looking at all the stats, if you're looking at everything that we've seen so far this year, uh, to say that Luis Arise has been more valuable than Acuna just seems really, really ridiculous. And you can go through these leaderboards and you can see it for yourself. 
certain players that are listed above other players, and it's just I don't know why we're judging players on this. I don't know why we're judging players based on this formula. End of end of rant. Essentially, there OPS plus and WRC plus. Can they have some value? Sure. But when they start telling you things like that, there's no need to read more into it than, okay, it's just kind of a cool stat. Uh, it's not anything that you should use for fantasy. It's not anything that you should use to take away who's a better player. And again, a lot of you will disagree. A lot of people have been fully sucked into this era that we're in now of just stats. Stats, 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 stats. And there's, some of them are very good. Some of them are kind of misleading. It's kind of a mixed bag. But this one in particular, and again, it's just my opinion. I think it's really, really stupid. So don't be reading too much into OPS+. Plus. Of course, if you want to, you can go ahead. But just go through those leaderboards and tell me it makes sense. If it makes sense to you, God bless. To me, I think that they're very, very overused. But let's get into the meat and potatoes part of the show here. We're going to be doing our mailbag. And I really appreciate that these are pretty much all redraft questions. I think there was one or two keeper questions. But we'll take that. We'll definitely take that compared to the usual uh, you know, seven to ten dynasty questions I'll get. Some of them with minor league players. A couple of times I'll get a question with a minor league player. It's like a high A pitcher. And I'm like, I don't know who that is. That's because that's just not my specialty. But we got a lot of redraft to get through here. Let's start off with the first one here. It's a 12 team, six by six. I'm going to assume we're adding in OBP and quality starts because you haven't specified further, but it's okay for the purpose of this question. Are we holding Lourdes Goriel Jr.? Are we dropping for Kim or for Hap? Lourdes Goriel Jr., I watched for many years in Toronto. He's a very streaky player. There are times when he is, and we saw, we've seen it this year. Uh, he was, at a time, I forget the highest like ranking he would have got to, but he was inside the top 50 or 60 players or so earlier in the season. Uh, he's batting 275 with 11 home runs, and that's despite hitting 200 for the last month. It was very, very good when it was good for Gurriel, and that's generally what it is. When it gets bad, it gets real, real bad. And we've seen that over the last couple of weeks, even over the last month uh, in general. It has been really, really bad. In a shallow format, in a 12-team league, not that it's the most shallow, but I'm okay to move on from Lourdes Gurriel in, in exchange for Hashan Kim. I, I believe I'm pronouncing that right. I could, be, I could be butchering it. But for a guy who's leading off, recently been leading off a lot more, for an offense that seems to be kind of figuring it out, he's stealing bases, he's doing kind of a bit of everything for you. He's got eight homers, 13 steals. Over the last month, he's got three homers and seven steals, batting 288. He's doing a lot of good. He's got second, third, and short eligibility. So I would be fine to drop Lourdes Gurriel for Hashan Kim there. Would you drop Sandy Alcantara for Reed Detmers? This one, I decided to do like a quote tweet, and I put it out there on my own account to say, yes, I would take Reed Detmers over Sandy Alcantara for the rest of 2023 and not really think twice about it. Sandy's been horrendous. Sandy has been awful. I know that we want to see them turned around. We want to have the hope that he'll turn it around. Maybe he will. There's nothing in the profile or the stats to suggest that. See, I know how to look at stats. Um, that's just a joke. Don't read too much into that. I'm just bullshitting around. But he's not striking out batters. He's walking more batters than we're used to. You know, his strikeout rate is down below 20% for the first time since 2019. And 2019 for him was an okay year. But, you know, he outperformed his metrics quite a bit. He had a 388 ERA. He had a 517 FIP, and everything else was not really that great. Um, if you look at what he's doing this year, it's kind of in line with those numbers, 18 and 9 for the strikeout walk, 19 and 7. It's close. It's the closest comp we have, and that was a year where he was really, really bad. Now, I had some people respond to me saying he's been very unlucky. He's allowed a 293 Babbitt. That's fairly standard. You know, his further career, 271. Generally, league average is close to 300. It, it's hard to find a league average for Babbitt, in all honesty, because every hitter is very different. Some Babbitts are you know more regular for one person versus a lower Babbitt might be regular for that person. You know, you're going to see a lower one for, say, you know, a Pete Alonso type versus a Ellie De La Cruz type. 
just naturally because Dela Cruz is going to beat out more balls that are hit on the infield because he's a lot faster. So the batting average on balls in play will be a lot higher. When you look at Alcantara's BABIP at 293, it's not like you can say, oh, he's been getting blasted. It's 410. You know, he's going to, you know, it's not anywhere near that. It's fairly average. The only thing you can kind of look at is his left on base percentage at 60% and say, that's probably going to go up. Is it going to go up enough that it's going to matter that much? I don't know that it is. We're sitting pretty much right at the halfway point of the season. He's got a 508 ERA. You know, the indicators are better, but they're not great. A 418 XFIP, a 422 XERA, 376 FIP. Uh, his Sierra is 438. Will he be a little bit better? Probably. Will he be somebody that's good that I want to use and start for fantasy? I don't think I do. I honestly don't think I do. The wins are going to be limited on the Marlins, generally speaking. It's very tricky to get a lot of wins from starting pitching on the Marlins. It just always has been. Even though they're good this season, it's generally a pretty tough task to get a lot of wins out of starters. We saw it with Trevor Rogers a couple of years ago. We saw it with Alcantara a number of times. We've seen it with him this year. Uh, it's not the easiest of task on that team to get a lot of wins in that division. <clears throat> I think we're also going to see the division get harder as the year goes on, right? I think we're going to see Philly and the Mets both get a lot better. I don't think we're going to see the Marlins finish in second place in this division. I could be wrong, but I think there's going to be a limited chance of wins. There's going to be a limited chance of strikeouts. And overall, there's just not a lot of, to like in Alcantara's profile. When you look at Reed Detmers, especially recently, he's been striking out a lot of batters. Even if you look at the whole season, he's striking out nearly at a 30% rate. Very good. He's allowing a 326 Babbitt, fairly regular, slightly above average even, 70% left on base. You know, if you look at the pitching indicators for Reed Detmers, they're very good. He has a 377 ERA, and he has every metric in line with that pretty much. A 364 XFIP, 325 FIP, 407 ERA. It all looks pretty appealing. And especially recently, when you look at what Reed Detmers has done, he's been just lighting the place on fire. Last night, it was seven, what is seven innings? Yeah, seven innings of one-run ball, 10 strikeouts against the White Sox over the last month. 30 innings pitched, he has 36 strikeouts, a 205 ERA, and a .91 whip. We're seeing the return of that great Reed Detmers from last year, and I have no problem picking him ahead of Sandy over the rest of the season. Considered a hot take by many people in my mentions, in my replies, I really don't think it is that hot of a take. Uh, give me Reed Detmers happily over Sandy Alcantara for the rest of the season. There's really not much hope that I have that Sandy is going to be that much better than what we've seen so far. Let's keep it going here with the next question. I'm wondering your rest of season rank for the group of Bellow, excuse me, Bayo, Paxton, Ober, and Whitlock. I arranged them Paxton, Bayo, Whitlock, and Ober in that order. Paxton's been really good. Now, he is dealing with an ailment. I believe it's his knee, which could potentially make me change this uh, order. And I originally was going to put him down a little bit, but he's on track to start Friday. That was the report we saw today. He's going to start in Toronto, as much as that might be a little bit of a risky start. Paxson has been really, really good this season. 3-1-9 ERA, <clears throat> great strikeout numbers. He's got a 1-0-2 whip. He's won a few games. He's done really, really well. Brian Bayo has also done very, very well so far this season. He's pitching to a 3.27 ERA. The whip is a little higher than we'd like at 127, but if you remember last year, it was 178, so he's made great improvements there. Strikeouts are fine, 62 of them in 66 innings. He's winning some games, <clears throat> so he'd be the guy I put second on that list. Then I go Garrett Whitlock. Whitlock is really good. He's somebody that's, I think, not amazing, but stable enough where you can comfortably start him in a lot of leagues. <coughs> Excuse me there, guys. Uh, he's been really solid over the last month. He's been solid over the whole year, really. The 450 ERA is a bit high, but a 122 whip is solid. He's winning games. The strikeouts are okay, uh, but I think he comfortably fits in third here. Where I might get some flack is putting Bailey Ober fourth. 
I'm just not a huge Bailey Ober guy, really. I think that he's well, well overperformed what we should have expected from him this season. And, you know, he's still doing it. He still, to this point, has an ERA. Where is the ERA? 297. He's got the exit at 434. He's got the XERA at 393. And his Sierra is 404. So he's outperformed what he should be doing by quite a bit. Strikeout and walk rates are pretty good. 24% strikeout rate. It's a bit above average. Walk rate, 5.5%. Bit below average. So 18.7% strikeout minus walk. That's really good. But I just think that we're going to see him come crashing down a little bit with those expected stats a lot higher than the actual numbers. So I'm not a huge guy. I'm not a huge Bailey Ober fan. I think that he could be fine. But I think he's generally going to be a sell-high candidate right now. I just... I just don't have a lot of faith in him sustaining that over the course of the rest of the entire season. There's a long way to go, and I think those numbers will catch up with him at some point. Uh, Do you believe in Nolan Jones? Great tools, great park, but can he put it all together? I believe that he'll be pretty damn good. Now, will he be as good as what we saw in that initial offering this season in the big leagues? Probably not. You know, he started to cool down a little bit already in terms of the homers and the steals that we're getting. But I think that in that ballpark, he's at worst going to be a streamer of what you can use in weeks like this week where they're at home the whole week. Uh, That's the worst-case scenario. I think best-case scenario is he's somebody that can still fit in your lineups in a 12-teamer. And even more shallow, potentially. Uh, In a 10-team league, I I think that it's borderline. If he's able to keep up even 70 75% of what he's done so far and give you you know another 10 home runs this season, steal another 7 bases or so, and maintain like a 270 average – That'd be amazing. The steals have been a surprise. Maybe they don't sustain. I think the power is very good. It'll be boosted by this ballpark. Can we see 17 home runs and 10, 12 steals from him? I think we can. Uh, If you're talking about whole season stats to go along with a pretty solid batting average as well. So I'm still in on Nolan Jones. People have moved on a little bit on Yahoo. He's gone from 71 down to 68%. He was dropped by 620 teams today on Yahoo, but I think that's a little premature. I'm still going to be holding on to him uh, at this point. What's a good return for Ellie Dela Cruz? I need some power in my lineup. I offered him, Bryce Harper, and Tyler Glass now for Jordan Alvarez and Cody Bellinger. That's way too rich for me. You're giving up way too much. Now, it is very tricky to gauge value on Ellie Dela Cruz, but you're giving up Dela Cruz, Bryce Harper, and Tyler Glass now, who are all studs. They're all studs at their respective positions. For Jordan Alvarez, who is a stud, who's also injured, and then Cody Bellinger, who is very hard to even peg down exactly what Bellinger's going to be. He started off very hot this season. He's cooled down. He's been hurt. It's been kind of a mixed bag from him, but he's not somebody I'd value even close to Harper Glass now and Ellie Dela Cruz. If you're going to be just dealing Ellie Dela Cruz, let's just say a one-for-one trade, I would not go lower than a top 25 rest-of-season kind of player. Look at your league rankings. Look at you know projections for the rest of the season. I think that he is a top 25 guy at worst. If you're not getting that kind of return, then walk away from the table or ask for more because Ellie Dela Cruz has potential to be, he is going to be a massive league winner this season. So he's not somebody that I would be giving away just because, oh, it's a, it's a good opportunity to sell high. It probably is, but it's not if you're going to be giving away that much value in exchange for essentially just Jordan Alvarez because Bellinger is, I think, kind of a risky one. Will he start a lot of the time in your shallower leagues? I'm not sure if this is a 10 or a 12 or a 15 or what's going on. But I just don't think that you're getting enough value there for Ellie Dela Cruz uh, giving away that much. Um, thoughts on TJ Friedel rest of season? TJ Friedel is a really underrated player. I, I think that he is somebody that can have 12 team value. Uh, he's stealing bases. He's hitting a couple of homers. He's batting 309. 
He's really entertaining, uh, TJ Friedel. You know, he kind of goes back and forth between the leadoff spot and, you know, down lower in the order. Generally, he is leading off for Cincinnati when he's in the lineup. And I think there's definitely room for that on 12-team rosters, especially if you're playing on Yahoo with daily changes. Okay, if he's going to sit one day or if he's going to bat eighth one day or whatever, or, you know, it's an unfavorable away matchup, then you can sit him no problem. But I think most of the time that he's going to be a very strong start in your 12-team leagues. I believe I have... Just the one share of T.J. Friedel. I want to quickly just double-check that. I think I just have him in the one league, though, and it's I could be wrong about that. I tried to have as many shares of Reds as I could throughout the season and picked them up, especially recently. Yeah, I have one share of T.J. Friedel in that main event qualifier that I'm in. Uh, that's a 15-teamer, but I think that he does definitely fit into 12-teamers as well. I really like T.J. Friedel. Underrated bat. And he is at this point, uh, let's see, I think it was in the 30s on Yahoo for roster percentage, 34 percent rostered on Yahoo. Definitely be taking a look and seeing if you can still get him. You likely can, and I think there's a good value that'll be had in him. What would you trade Nathan Ivaldi and Tyro Estrada for in a points league looking to get a starter back? Well, if you're trading both of those guys, then you should be aiming for an ace-level talent. Now, there's been some worry with Nathan Ivaldi. Uh, if you guys have seen the different tweets that have gone around, I know Nick Pollock has talked about it a lot, that he does not have the velocity that he did have. He's gone down a couple of ticks. Now, it's a little bit better um he averaged i think 94 on sunday um but he's generally like a 95 96 guy so the velo is a bit of a concern no problem in trying to package him up with you if you're packaging him with estrada though like okay just looking at eovaldi his rank for yahoo uh, yahoo head-to-head category leagues he's 12th he's he's a first round player right now if you're packaging him up with tyro estrada who at this point is a top 100 player very easily and then probably even higher. I mean, this last couple of weeks stretch has kind of taken him down a little bit. But even with the poor couple of weeks, he's got nine homers, 17 steals, and a 277 batting average. There's a lot to really like with Tyro Estrada. You're packaging the two of them together. I wouldn't do it for less than a top five or a top seven pitcher. I think that there is definitely the ability to go back and maybe try and get yourself a Shane McClanahan. I don't know if you're going to be able to pull Strider. But like you can go for a top-tier kind of pitcher, a Garrett Cole one of those names because you're giving up already a top-tier pitcher and a top-tier bat with multi-eligible, uh, multi-position eligibility. Tyro Estrada on Yahoo, second short and outfield. There's a lot of value there. So I wouldn't give them both away unless you're really giving up, or excuse me, unless you're really getting back a uh, serious, serious ace-level player. Uh, let's see. 10-team uh, head-to-head category. I'm looking to move one of my second-base shortstops as I have four and only room for three. Would you trade Cattell Marte for Jose Barrios? I think Cattell Marte is worth more than that at this point. He has been on an absolute heater. This is if you want to sell high, then I, I would aim for higher than Jose Barrios because Marte over the last week is the number one player. Over the last two weeks, he's also the number one player. If you go back over the last month, he's the number five overall player. Seven homers, a couple of steals, a three thirty batting average in that time frame. He's also scored 30 runs in the last month. Been a huge part of his value, having 58 runs on the season. Great power. We've seen that come back after really not expecting it. The only time we really saw great power from him was in 2019, and I don't think anybody really bought it. But we're seeing him on pace for a 25 home run plus season to go along with a 300 average and probably about I don't know, 15 steals, 10 or 15 steals at this point. He's got six. There's a lot of value to be had in him. Now, Jose Barrios has also been really good. He has turned his season around. Granted, he had kind of a rough start against Miami the last time he faced them, but he bounced back against Oakland for the whole course of the season. You're looking at a 360 ERA and a 122 whip. He's done and eight wins as well, which will come from being pitching for a good team. Um, but I don't think Cattell Marte is enough. I don't think that that's enough of a return. If or excuse me, I don't think that Jose Barrios uh, is enough of a return for Cattell Marte. 
he is bordering on first-line production for the whole season. Uh, he is literally just outside of the first round of value. He's 14th if you look at Yahoo's rankers. Uh, there's a lot of value there. I would aim a lot higher than Jose Barrios personally. Um, are you holding Alex Cobb? Yes, Alex Cobb, from what I saw, he's expected to be back. I don't know if it's this week or early next week. Uh, this week, he's expected to come back during uh, this week's road trip. He's been very good this season. I know it kind of tailed off a little bit this last couple of starts. It wasn't as good, but you're still looking at a 309 ERA for the season, a guy striking out just about a batter per inning. The whip is kind of rough, but I think with a guy with this kind of skill set, high ground ball rate, decent strikeouts, good team context behind him, in a year where you have so much volatility with pitching, uh, you know, you can't even trust your studs, really. A guy like Alex Cobb really is a proper glue guy in a lot of leagues where you can just start him every single week. It might not be perfect every single week, but he's somebody that will have a lot of value regardless of your format. I think he's viable in 10s, 12s, and 15s. You could even argue in an eight-team league, Alex Cobb is worth it just because of the lack of great starting pitchers that we've had at our disposal this season. And the ones that have been good, it seems like they get hurt, and there's just not a lot you can really do there. Uh, I'm not sure if he still would qualify on the leaderboard because he's missed some time now. Um, Does he still qualify? He does. He does qualify. He's the seventh-best ERA in the National League. There's no way you got to drop him. He's only 71% rostered on Yahoo as well. So there's a lot of people who are not even rostering him. 30% of leagues, he is just sitting around there. Uh, so take a look and see if you can still find him because there's going to be a lot more value probably than a lot of people are expecting based on that number. It should be a lot higher. Uh, should I accept Jose Altuve and Justin Verlander for Zach Eflin and Josh Naylor? I assume Josh Naylor. You just said Naylor. I mean, I don't think Bo Naylor is at the point of being thrown around in those kind of trade talks yet. This is your classic buy low and sell high situation here. Jose Altuve, he's day-to-day right now. He's got the heel problem. He's missed the last couple of games. But he's still Jose Altuve. He's still, I was surprised to look up today. He's only 33 years old. I initially thought he's 35, probably 36. He's 33 years old. He just started so young. And he has not been amazing since he's come back. He hasn't been classic Jose Altuve. But 263 batting average, three homers, five steals, batting at the top of a great lineup. He checks a lot of boxes, especially at a valuable position for fantasy in second base. Now, Justin Verlander... I am not in on him this season. I think that, you know, we've seen the best of him already. Last year was kind of the swan song in terms of the great production. Now we're kind of just seeing the dregs, essentially. Now, he hasn't been bad recently, 333 ERA over the last month, but the strikeouts aren't really there. The whip's not really there. Last year was kind of a miracle for him. I don't know how good he's going to be. Now, that being said, I'd still probably trust that package over Zach Eflin and Josh Naylor. Even though Eflin, I think, is really good, he's probably performing out of his socks a little bit here, considering how good Tampa has been over the course of the first half of the season. Now, I'm very high on Zach Eflin still, and Josh Naylor, I'm very, very high on. I love Josh Naylor. He's one of the leaders in RBI in the league. He's got homers. He's batting 291. He's really good, but I still think you have to accept that trade when you're getting a talent like Altuve at the top of that order and Justin Verlander, who I don't even necessarily expect to turn it around I not, not even necessarily I don't really expect to turn it around and I'd have him ranked much much lower than Zach Eflin in pitcher rankings but when you're given the chance to take both of those guys who are both Hall of Fame players granted that doesn't really mean that much on a year-to-year basis in fantasy but you're getting two guys who are still capable of a lot more at their peak 
than Eflin and Naylor. I think that there's a lot of people who wouldn't accept the trade as well just because of how strong those two have been, but I think Naylor will cool off. We've already seen Eflin cool off a little bit, and those the package of those two with the star power that is potentially there uh, would be enough for me to take that trade. Should I trade Josh Young and Henry Davis for Cedric Mullins? Yeah, I would be okay with that. Now, I, I like Henry Davis a lot. Josh Young, I love. You guys know I love Josh Young. He has been one of my favorites. He's also cooled off a little bit. Over the last month, he's batting 250. Last two weeks, he's batting 184. It's still a very solid season line of a 270 batting average, 15 home runs. When you combine him and Henry Davis, it, it's a very nice package. Henry Davis with catcher and outfield eligibility, playing every single day. He's got a homer. He's got a steal already. That's all good and fine, but Cedric Mullins has that first-round game-changing fantasy potential in him. On a per-game basis this season, he's a top-30 player. He had eight home runs and 13 stolen bases and just over 200 at-bats. That's incredible. Now that he's back and healthy, I'd expect to see those numbers start to ramp up again. Now, he batted six yesterday. I don't like when they do nonsense like that. He should be leading off every single time. I didn't check, but I assume was it a lefty they faced yesterday. Probably it was. Um, let me just double check and see that. Cause that is kind of, a, kind of stupid. I don't know why they bothered doing that. I'm assuming it was a lefty on the mound. Uh, yes, it was. So that's why he was batting down the bottom of the order at sixth. doesn't bother me rest of the season. You should see him right at the top of that order producing the way we usually see Mullins produce with a solid batting average, great home runs, great stolen base numbers and great counting stats in what is now a borderline elite lineup. So give me Cedric Mullins there fairly happily, uh, over Josh Young and Henry Davis. Uh, let's see. Traded away Nestor Cortez, Andrew Abbott, and Josh Lowe for Estrada and Hap. I think you gave up a little bit too much there. Um, you know, I think Abbott's going to be really, really good. I think Nestor, once he comes back, we're going to see a better version than we saw. It was, it was bad, bad Nestor. It was good Nestor early, and then it was a few bad starts that ended up making the season line look really bad. And then you got Josh Lowe, who has cooled off a little bit, but he's still producing at a fairly high rate. Uh, for Estrada, who I like, but he's also cooled off a bit. And then Ian Happ, who I, I I like Ian Happ fine. I'm not like a huge Ian Happ guy. I think he's okay. He does provide in all five categories to some extent, but he's not the most exciting. Uh, but if you look at what you traded away here, I think you traded a little bit more uh, than what you got back. I, I, I don't think it's egregious. Like I said, it might have given up a bit too much, but it still seems reasonable to me. Um, I'm fine with it. I probably wouldn't have done it myself, but I, I'm totally fine with it as well. Uh, 10-man league, drop Bellinger or hold on to him. Lowe, Friedel, Nolan Jones, and Zeke Duran, and Michael Harris are my other outfielders. I'm fine to drop Bellinger in a 10-teamer. Yeah, in a 10-teamer, you churn and burn. You try and find the best value that you got going at the time. You know, you stream in streaky guys, guys who are going to course for the week. Uh, I, I wouldn't be too attached to Cody Bellinger in that shallow of a league. My playoff started in eight weeks. Do you think Yuri Perez will be shut down during that time? It's definitely possible. It's definitely possible, but I don't know the how they're going to justify it to themselves or their fan base if they're in a playoff position. If they're like the way they currently are now, let me see if they're in a wild card spot. They're going to be close, right? They got to be. Uh, they're one game out of the wild. Oh no, sorry, they're one game. They're in the wild card. One game in the wild card. So the season ends today. They are going to the postseason. I don't know how if they stay competitive down the stretch, they're going to justify that to their fans and to anybody else shutting him down. Like last year, you're talking about 70-some-odd innings. This year, we're already talking about 70-some-odd innings. 2021, same thing, like 78 innings. 2022, we're talking 77. This year, 78. So are we getting close to the end for Yuri Perez here? I don't think so. I think that it's a possibility. 
But I, I, I really don't know what the Marlins are going to do here. It, it, they're not a team that I can really easily read. I think that Yuri Perez should stay in the rotation the rest of the year. If they need to go six-man, if they need to skip a random start here or there to keep him fresh, then, then go for it. But to say that he'll be shut down entirely, I don't know that he will be. I don't know that they can possibly afford to do that. I think that likely the likeliest outcome in my brain, and it is tricky, I think that they're probably going to do what I said a second ago and probably just skip the odd start here and there. Maybe they go to a six-man. Maybe they shut him down for the last you know couple weeks of the regular season. I'm not opposed to selling high. I'm not at all opposed to seeing what you can get for Yuri Perez and seeing if the market dictates, yes, I should be trading him. He's got the 134 ERA, but those expected numbers are all in the threes. So, I mean, that's still very good. It's just you're not going to see this level of production, a 137, 134 ERA going forward. He's stranding almost 95% of base runners. That's not going to stay. His BABIP is 241, which is very low. Will that stay? Probably not. So I, I wouldn't be opposed to trying to sell high on him if you can. Now, the follow-up that you gave here was, who would you target? I'm looking for some extra bat power. I always have a hard time evaluating trades between pitchers and position players. Absolutely, everybody does. If you're trying to trade him for a bat, I think you go for a top 30 or 40 overall bat, uh, You know, a top 50 player in general. Should be what you're fetching for Yuri Perez at this point. The thing you got to remember with fantasy, and every league is different, but a lot of people don't comb through the stats. In my home league, there's maybe two other people who will even know what Fangraphs is. You know, one of them knows what pitcher list is, and they'll eventually, you know, every now and then they'll check stats, they'll check this or that or whatever. Most of them are fairly ignorant, and I think a lot of leagues in home leagues are going to operate in the same kind of way. Maybe your league, and I, God bless you if it is, everybody competitive checking Fangraphs and checking, you know, every single site in the morning for updates and this and that going on Twitter and seeing updates. A lot of leagues don't work like that. A lot of people won't even see a lot of the updates in the news. They'll just see a 134 ERA and a .98 whip and a top 40 player to this point of the season, despite only throwing 47 innings, which is very impressive. If you can try and not necessarily deceive, but just you know present Yuri Perez as face value, like look what he's done, and not try and, you know, because maybe you're trading with somebody who knows the advanced numbers, maybe you're not. I think that at worst, you should be getting back a top 50 player, and at best, you maybe even can get back a top 25 kind of guy. It's definitely possible. Uh, kick the tires and see what the market is. Don't trade him for nothing. But I definitely understand your concern here um, with having uh, you know, Yuri Perez and worrying about the innings limit because he's already pretty much at his career high for innings. Uh, so it definitely is a little bit of a concern. Um, let's move on. Let's talk about another question here. Are you starting Andrew Abbott with confidence today? If so, why? The regression is coming, and I'm leaning towards uh, it starting today against this hot offense on the road. It's definitely possible. Uh, I started him in my NFBC leagues where I have him. In shallow formats, I think it's kind of a toss-up. I'd still probably start him just because he's got the momentum going, but there is potential for it to be kind of a tough evening for him. Let me take a look real quickly and see if they've announced a lineup yet for that Orioles uh, and Reds game here tonight. Uh, so we have, so we got Hayes, Rutschman, Santander, Gunnar Henderson, Hicks, Urias, Westberg, McKenna, and Mateo. So we're still seeing a fairly right-handed dominant lineup there. Uh, mostly righties we're seeing in that lineup. Andrew Abbott, the lefty. I don't know, like you got to worry a little bit about like, will he give up home runs or whatnot, but that ballpark really suppresses power. Uh, you know, he's not like a massive home run guy. There have been some concerns in the minors. If that is your worry in Baltimore, I don't really necessarily see it happening, uh, given the big dimensions of that ballpark. 
Now, he does have a 190 BABIP. He has stranded 100% of the runners that have reached base so far. Those numbers are not going to stay. I think that it's kind of a toss-up in those shallow leagues. I'd still lean to starting him in the deeper leagues, though. Uh, you're probably not looking at that many options in a 15-teamer that are better than Andrew Abbott. So he would still be a start for me uh, in those kind of situations. Guys, that's going to wrap it up for us for today. Again, I really appreciate all you guys throwing your questions in here. I answered just about every single one on Twitter. I got to most of them here on the show as well, uh, just trying to you know do kind of both because some people will look back on Twitter, some people will listen to the show. I do tend to give more of a detailed explanation on the show. You only got 200 and some odd characters you can use on Twitter, so I'll generally talk a little bit longer on the show in regards to the same questions, just kind of expand on my answers a bit, but... Regardless, I really appreciate you guys throwing your questions in there. It's always a great time when we do the mailbags. For me, anyway, I hope you guys enjoy them as well. Uh, go check me out over on Twitter. I'm at JoeRico99, J-O-E-O-R-R-I-C-O-99, and also at EthosFantasyBB and SportsEthos.com for the rest of our coverage. I do want to plug, before I let you guys go, tomorrow's show It'll be with my very good friend and my golf buddy from our time in Arizona, David Mendelson from Triple Play Fantasy, D. Mendy. He'll be joining the show. We're going to talk about some potential second-half bounce backs, not necessarily guys that we think will bounce back, but just evaluate the case for certain guys. You know, Will Sandy Alcantara have a better second half? Will Lance Lynn have a better second half? Will Kyle Schwarber bat above 200? Will Lindor get back to his usual value? A couple of Minnesota Twins players we're going to talk about as well, as Mendy is a Twins guy. But I'll leave you there on that teaser. We're going to be potentially going live. I'm not 100% sure, but it'll be tomorrow afternoon. It'll be earlier than you guys are usually seeing the podcast come out recently. I'm off work tomorrow, so we're going to be doing it midday. Uh, really excited to talk with David. It's been quite a while. I did the Triple Play podcast in December, I guess, December or January. Uh, Mendy hasn't been on here since last August. We saw each other in November, but it's going to be good to catch up with him and hopefully you guys will enjoy that one as well. But until then, guys, have a great night. Take care, and we'll see you tomorrow. Cheers. Cheers.